Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to episode 10 of Dame's Takes. <sighs> um, I wanted to start off this episode a little differently. I know we usually have the the intro song and you, you got, I mean, well, I'm still going to play that one, but um, this past weekend uh, we lost a, a very, very genuine, very kind soul, someone very near and dear to me, one of the biggest supporters of myself and this podcast in general um so i really just wanted to start um this episode which is dedicated to my cousin brianna i wanted to start this one out with a moment of silence really fast for her um we'll just do a quick little eight second moment of silence if you wouldn't mind I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, now look, I, I just wanted to cover that one really fast. I was, it's been a long week since we last spoke. So I was debating doing one episode, doing two episodes, doing no episodes this week. But here we are. Let's get it cracking. We're going to make this a really, really good, really special, really important episode. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm letting it loose today. I'm going to be honest. I'm letting it loose today. So with that being said, Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to episode 10 of the hottest podcast on this side of the Mississippi, Dame's Takes. I am your host, Damian Gordon, also known as Dame Fuego. If you don't know Spanish, that means give me fire, and that's what I'm here to do. We got a good one for you this week. I'm not going to talk about every single sport. I'm not going to cover every single story because I have a lot to say, and I'm going to be going in. I'm going to be in depth. I'm going to be going in, all right? I am not an avid soccer. I am not an avid soccer fan, as you know. If you've been keeping up for the past nine weeks, I do not talk about soccer much at all. I'm pretty sure this will be my first time talking about soccer. <laughs> but when it's a goat, when it's one of the best in the biz, when it's my personal favorite team and personal favorite player, it's coming on to the Dame's takes. Lee, Leo, Leo Messi, the goat of soccer, wants out of Barcelona. Barca has been getting thumped as of late. They just I think they just lost 8 to 2. They just lost 8 to 2 to Bayern Munich in a game in which they only scored once. One of the two goals that Barcelona scored was an own goal. So Bayern scored 9 goals on their heads <laughs> to Barca's one. Messi, Messi's out there pissed. <laughs> but he has announced this morning actually. This is why I don't this is why I don't do our episodes the night before. I do them the morning of because I got to stay in tune. I got to keep up with the latest news. Sometimes the news breaks as I'm speaking. So here we are. Messi wants out of Barcelona. Um, it's been said that uh, Manchester City or Man City is is doing their, doing their due diligence. They're looking around. They're trying to see if they can make the money work, see if they can follow the rules still and, and get that done but Messi wants out so that's gonna that's very big for the soccer world and it's gonna be it's gonna have to be seen where he's gonna go 
um, I'm I've been working in this past year, two years, to learn and 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 really read more about soccer and become more of a fan and understand the sport a little more. So this might be something to help me as a sports fan get deeper into soccer. But that was my that was my one soccer story because I'm really not really not that big of a soccer person. Um, I am very aware that the NHL is in the playoffs currently. As much as I say I don't keep up with other sports, I really have not been keeping up with hockey. So, currently, I don't have anything on the playoffs. I'll I'll be able to talk about that next week. But like I said, we're focused. This is my Stephen A week. I'm going in. So, I got a lot to say, and I want to go ahead and make sure I have enough time to say those things. Leave myself with enough leeway for that. Now, let's go ahead and go on over to baseball. Baseball, um, the trade deadline in the MLB is actually around the corner, August 31st. After the 31st of August, there will be no trades. Well, technically, baseball is a little different when the way they work their rules, but there will be no trades. There's supposed to be no trades after the 31st of August. So this week, you'll be hearing a lot of so-and-so from the Dodgers is going to this team. So-and-so is going to the Dodgers. So-and-so is going here. So it's going to be a lot of movement. going to be a lot of transactions. This season's already been one for the ages, an unforgettable, um, very different season for baseball fans, for baseball teams. And, yeah, so the, 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 oof, the trade deadline is going to be really crazy. As I said before, uh, when I was talking about my baseball preview, when I was doing the preview before the season started with only 60 games, and with normally the baseball season is 162 games. So you have 60 games now. And those 60 games are still going to count as a season. Baseball is very specific with the way they they count your service time. You have a certain amount of time that you've played on a major league team. And that's different than when you've played on a minor league team. So service time and those kind of things are, are also a big, a big um, plot point for baseball this year. Besides that, you have a lot of transactions, you have a lot of kids, a lot of draft picks, a lot of young, talented kids getting called up earlier than they normally would, not necessarily being rushed, but being given an opportunity earlier than they would have expected because of the the circumstances that we're in. Playing baseball in a pandemic, you have players who are opting out, you have players who are still getting hurt. So because of these things, obviously you're going to have... Some some kids getting called up, some kids, some rookies, some kids who have never played major league baseball. They've only played minor leagues. They're gonna get called up a little sooner. They're gonna give. They're gonna be given that opportunity to play. No, nothing's gonna be different in terms of the trade deadline. You're gonna have players getting traded away to make space for young kids. You're gonna be having young kids who haven't been doing well so far, who haven't been adjusting to the majors well. So teams are going to be trading for veterans to help those young kids either whether it be a mentor or just to t- have that young kid have less time on the field because sometimes they say less is more especially in sports sometimes less is more so when you have them play a little a little less they can watch a little more they can watch film a little more they can try and figure out what they're doing incorrectly so it's going to be very interesting it's going to be incredibly interesting um trade deadline it's it I, man it's gonna is the trade deadline is always very interesting for everyone but this one's gonna be one for the ages just like this season's gonna be one for the ages another nice piece of news from baseball this this past week albert Pujols, first baseman absolute legend uh for the los angeles angels is now the sole 
is now solely by himself number two on the runs batted in list, the RBI list in baseball. Uh, how can I describe this to my fans of other sports? It's like it's like now being second on the assist list, low key. And RBI is just it isn't necessarily you scoring. It can be if you hit a home run, then you can also you would also be a run. You would be your own RBI. Um, but RBIs is pretty much making is is hitting the ball in any way and getting someone to pass home plate. That is a run batted in. You batted someone's in because of you. So that's an RBI. He's he's second on the list um, behind Hank Aaron, who's number one. I believe that Albert Pujols now has 287 RBIs. Hank Aaron has the record with 200. I'm sorry, 2,280. 87, I think. Something like that. He's he's over 200 behind him. And Albert Pujols is definitely, most certainly, on his way out in terms of the league. He is definitely in his last few years. So it seems a little unlikely that he will be reaching that reaching first on the list. Um, moving forward, uh, we have the the just talking about some some things around the league as I've been talking about. In every episode that I bring up baseball, they've been trying to make up games, double headers, triple headers. Double, a double header in baseball is basically just playing two games in the same day. Um, the Miami Marlins, a team that one of the teams that had one of the big outbreaks this season for the coronavirus, they're still trying to make up their games. They're still trying to make up a significant amount of their games to the to the point in which they are beginning a six day stretch beginning today. They have a six-day stretch in which they will play nine games, including doubleheaders on Friday and Sunday against the New York Yankees. Now, the Yankees ain't no slouch, so even having to play two games in one day is already an uphill battle, and it's already tough, and already something that you don't necessarily want to do, and it, it, it's a little grueling on the players. But to play against the Yankees, who might mess around and put up 15 points on you in both games, whew. So the Mets are the the today they're playing the Met the Marlins are playing the Mets, but the Marlins are definitely going to have a, a uphill battle ahead of them. It's going to make them have to really use their depth. They're going to have to use the players that they already have and make sure they give um, their star players, their starters, some rest in between these games. Obviously, playing nine games in six days, you got to give them some rest. You got to give them some time, and they can't. I, I can't imagine you're going to have anybody playing all nine of those games in these six days. So, just working through that and trying to trying to see what you got. I mean, the Marlins are supposed to be a rebuilding team anyway. They're supposed to be trying to see what kind of young talent they have, what kind of veterans they have that can teach the young talent, and really like try and build a culture down there to win bas- or basketball games, win baseball games for the future. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought that was really interesting that they were playing nine games in six days. Throw, the, throw that in real quick. Speaking of the trade deadline, it's already starting to get started. Um, my personal uh, favorite team in the National League, the <laughs> the Philadelphia Phillies, has actually been making trades with my favorite team in the American League, <laughs> the Boston Red Sox, acquiring Heath Hembry and Brandon Workman and cash considerations from the Boston Red Sox in exchange for right-handers Nick Pavita and Connor Siebold. Um, obviously, being a, an avid fan of both of these teams, I've seen the only player in this trade that I don't really know about is Connor Siebold. Um, Nick, 
Nick's a starting pitcher. He's a solid. He can he can be a, star, a solid starting pitcher, but his his control gets a little kind of crazy. And he has really good games. He can string together a couple of good games, but then he kind of falls apart. And he'll have some. He'll have a string of really bad games. His, his, his consistency is what's really really his issue. And also playing for the Phillies, sometimes the offense wasn't always behind him. He'd have a good game, and and maybe he gave up two three runs, but. If your team doesn't score, only scores once, then you had a good game. You only gave up two, three runs, which isn't that bad. It really isn't that bad at all, especially for a starting pitcher these days. Like, it's not that bad at all. But if you're not getting any offense behind you, then what turned out to be an overall good outing ends in a loss. So sometimes it's getting the short end of the stick. Um, Hembry and Workman are both, are both solid relievers. The Red Sox have been trying to use them to see if they they could become closers, if they can be end of the end of the bullpen kind of guys, uh, whether it's a setup guy, a seventh inning kind of guy, or a closer. Um, the the Phillies got some good ones. The Phillies for sure got some good ones, and that's been a big, 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 big weakness for the Phillies this year is their bullpen. Um, so they they definitely are, are are working to solidify their bullpen and try and really make a push for the playoffs because they're not out of it. Um, earlier on Friday, the Phillies also acquired right-handed reliever David Hale from the Yankees, sending back uh, right-handed relief uh, prospect Addison Russ. So they're definitely making moves. They're trying to, they're trying to definitely, um, <laughs> they're definitely trying to trying to work through it. They're trying to find find something and get in there, get into the trying to work their way into the playoffs. Speaking of which, I'll go ahead and use that as a segue into the standings of baseball. We'll go ahead and start in the American League, in the American League East, where my Red Sox reside. They are at the bottom of the division, nine games back of the leaders, the Tampa Bay Rays, which, I mean, if you go back to my baseball preview, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything, but I did say Yankee, Yankee, Yankees. If you listen, whenever I'm talking about baseball, I'm saying the Yankees and the Dodgers are going to be really, really good. But I've said, I said it Comparative to last year, the Rays ain't going to take it laying down. The Rays ain't no slouches. And the Rays are currently a half game above the Yankees in their division, followed by the Blue Jays and the Orioles. The Orioles have definitely surprised me. They've been playing a lot better than I thought they were going to. I thought that they were going to be the bottom of the barrel for our division. Uh, But the Red Sox are the the bottom of the barrel barrel for the division. uh, Toronto is is, uh, middling around... 500, which is kind of what I expected from them. Uh, young team, still trying to figure it out, but uh, uh, it's, it's to be seen. Uh, one thing that's been very interesting that I'm seeing here is the Orioles' away record. They're eight and one away from home. Uh, Canyon Yards with Camden Yards is the name of the stadium that, that Baltimore plays in, and it's known to be a hitter-friendly park. So it's quite interesting that they get away from the part that's supposed to be good for hitters and they're playing better. So maybe it's their pitching. Maybe it's other teams offense coming into their building and really seeing the dimensions like the dimensions of every baseball stadium is a little different. So as a hitter, much very similar to to the way the NBA is. We have a lot of players who are playing and pitching better or not pitching, playing and shooting better because they're playing in this smaller gym playing in a smaller baseball field or playing with with shorter corners if if when you play against the Red Sox you got to hit it hit the ball 350 feet to get a home run and you got to go over this giant green wall 
it's a lot different than when you go play in Baltimore and it's 315 feet in that same left corner and there isn't this giant wall. It's a short wall you, you can hit right over. You can hit a line drive over the wall if you get it. If you can hit it hard enough, you can get it deep enough, it could be a line drive. You're not going to hit a line drive home run to the left side in Boston, but you can absolutely do that in Baltimore. So it could just be the stadium, the pitching where the, the other teams are coming in there like, wow, it just it just feels so much easier to hit here. And they're just they're just feeling comfortable. Moving on to the AL Central, the Twins are at the top leading uh, two and a half games with leading the division uh, with two and a half games ahead of the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago White Sox who are tied. This is, again, this is very, very, very similar to what I expected out of this division. I thought the White Sox were going were gonna to surprise people and have a little more in the tank than people thought. I'm a big uh, Tim Anderson fan, huge, huge Tim Anderson fan. That kid's really good. The Indians haven't really lost too much from uh, the past couple of years when they've been making the playoffs, been a solid team. So I knew they were going to still be in it. But the Twins are probably, I would, I would assume, I th- I'm pretty sure the Twins out of the three have the youngest like star players with the youngest roster overall. I'm pretty sure the youngest, but they're also extremely talented. So, I, I, I hey, the Twins are going to be really good for a really long time, honestly, as long as they can keep the money right, make sure everybody gets there, gets there, gets paid. Um, noticing here the, the Indians and the White Sox aren't playing too well at home. They're playing much better away from home as opposed to the Twins who have a positive record away and at home. I think that's that. I think that things like that, especially in baseball, even even in, in the circumstances that we're having right now, even in baseball, it feels though home field advantage makes a big, big difference. Even with no fans in the crowd, it's still just being in the stadium. Being in a specific stadium makes a difference. And different stadiums are obviously better for different players, for different hitters, for different pitchers. In the AL West, I know I was talking about the collapsing um, Houston Astros. They've been playing much, much better since we last spoke about them. Uh, they're still second in the division behind the Oakland Athletics. The A's are three and a half games ahead. They've been playing very, very well. Um, the Astros are seven and three in their last ten games, which is definitely contributing to the complete turnaround. Obviously, before those ten games, they were what? Let's see, they were nine and ten, so they had a negative record before these last past ten games. And now they're seven. They've seven and three in their last ten, and they're sixteen and thirteen overall, three and a half games back in the division. They are clear cut going to be second. They're definitely going to make second in the division. Um, the Texas Rangers are four and a half games behind the Astros. So they're they're way out. They're probably not going to make the playoffs either. Um, but hey, still, the season ain't over. We're only about halfway through. I'm looking at a lot, of, a lot of these teams are exactly at 30 games. I'm not seeing anybody over 30 games. So we're literally halfway through the season. And obvi- like that's how they usually do the trade deadline as well. So we're getting to the halfway point in the season and, and things are starting to become a little, a little more obvious. We're starting to see who's real and who's not. Speaking of real, the Atlanta Braves have been playing pretty well. They haven't been playing very well on the road. They're um, six and eight away from Atlanta, ten and four at home. But they're uh, a game and a half up on the Marlins in the division. Overall, I, I really expected the the Braves to really run away with the division a little more. I really did. But they're only, like I said, they're only a game and a half above the Marlins. They're only four games ahead of the Nationals and the Phillies, who are at the bottom of the division. 
So it really is still anybody's division. In baseball, these like especially in baseball, in baseball, you usually play series against the team. So if the Phillies were to play against the Braves three straight games and win all three, that makes a huge difference. They're probably, I'm pretty sure they're only a game back in the division if that happens. So in baseball, it's really important to maintain that confidence and maintain the idea that you're not really out of it. Because, I mean, even being eight games out of it, like the like I just said, the Rangers are eight games out of first in their division. But it's, sometimes it's not about that, especially in baseball this year. We have more playoff teams. You don't have to be the best team or even the second best team in your division to make the playoffs. So you just have to play well and play within yourself, play within your team, play within your system. And really believe that it's going to work and really have faith. But the the uh, the NL East is, is still kind of wide open. The Atlanta Braves have not started running away with it yet, but they still could. They, they, they do have a lead on all the other teams. They're playing better than all the other teams. They're the only team in the division with a positive run differential. They're plus 22, and everybody else is minus 8, minus 7, minus 1, minus 10. So the division isn't out of reach for anybody, but they got to they gotta start winning games and winning a lot of games if they want to catch the Braves. Because the Braves, when they catch fire, it's, they're not going to stop. <laughs> uh, moving forward to the NL Central, the Chicago Cubs are leading the division. A, a, a little bit of a surprise for me, the Central is. Um, I expected, the Cubs, to, I expected the, the Cubs to be in the middle and the Brewers to be at the top. The Brewers obviously lost Lorenzo Cain. He opted out of the season, so I feel like that was a big... A big, big loss for them, uh, and it makes a big difference. Um, but the Cubs are playing well. The Cubs are playing really good baseball. The Cardinals are playing good baseball when they can play good baseball. <laughs> they are a whole ten games. They have ten less games played than the Cubs. So the the Cardinals is going to be is going to have to be seen if they're going to be able to finish all the games. So they're going to be able to get it together. Um, but. The Cubs are leading the division. They're up by three games. It's looking like they're going to end up running away with it, and the Cardinals are going to be right behind them and make the playoffs. The Brewers, the Reds, and the Pirates looking like it's going to have to be next season for them. Um, it was there was a lot of talk about the Reds' uh, rotation, but so far hasn't been hasn't been what we had hoped. It hasn't been what what was expected of them. Um, and of course, last but not least, we have the NL West with the leading Los Angeles Dodgers. They're up four games on the Padres. The Padres have been a huge surprise for me. They've been playing extremely well. They've been playing really good baseball. And they could be an upset for somebody in the playoffs. So people better watch out for the Padres. And I've been loving, 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 loving them not listening to the unwritten rules of baseball. That bullshit that is the un written rules of baseball the sport with the most cheating in the world has the audacity to try and tell anybody about what they should be doing on the field it's absolutely ridiculous the sport that has people betting on games has people taking steroids has people taking hgh has people lying about all these things like all the things that happen in baseball that you, you guys shouldn't even have unwritten rules because you don't follow the written rules so I love the Padres having fun, making baseball fun, enjoying the game, enjoying the game they've been playing their whole entire lives, enjoying playing a sport, playing a game. I love the Padres. I want to see the Padres do really well. And anybody who has a problem, the Padres got a problem with me. <laughs> but the Dodgers are for sure going to run away with this division. And the Padres are going to be second. Um, everybody else is kind of teetering around each other. And I think it's going to have to be next year for them as well. Alrighty, let's keep on chugging along. That's enough for baseball. I barely made my time. I ba- I've been trying to time it out a little better with every sport and how much I really talk about things. 
Um, we're going to go ahead and go on into college football really fast. What I saw, what I saw, what I saw was very interesting. They released the All-Americans for um, college football. The funny thing <laughs> is that they wanted what they, I, I like that they did this. I'm extremely happy that they still decided and asked the committee to to view it this way. So they have the American, the All Americans, um, preseason All Americans for football um, was coming was was to be released. The voters were asked to consider all Division One players. Don't leave out any players because they opted out. Don't leave out any players because their team decided to postpone, um, or yeah, like to postpone or just opt out of having their season themselves. Don't do that. Let, if if they're not going to be playing, still select them to the team because you feel like they should be selected to the team. Now, since they did that, we have 23 AP preseason All-Americans who are not going to be playing in this upcoming college football season, which goes to show you the star power, the magnitude of players who are not willing to play during a pandemic. And it also shows you how much star power is going to be lost and how much these teams are going to be losing in in terms of their play, in terms of the production they're going to get. Obviously, you're an All-American amongst all of the schools in America. Like, there's tons and tons of Division One schools. We're talking about certain players who are the best of their positions. And now that team doesn't get that player. Like, it's a big difference. And I doubt that you just have a backup sitting there waiting that's just as good. Um, we ha- amongst these players, we have uh, Mika Parsons or Micah. I'm sorry, Micah Par- Parsons from Penn State. Um, we have Justin Fields out of Ohio State, the preseason number two, the defending champions of the Big Ten. He will not be playing. <laughs> um, it just it, there's the list goes on. There are tons of these great great players who are still playing, but. I thought that was a very, I thought I should bring that up. I thought it'd be very interesting how we have, we literally have all these All-Americans, all these amazing players who are not going to be playing. 23 isn't that big of a number. It's not the hugest number, but there's not, there's not a, a lot of All-Americans to begin with. So 23 is a little bit much, and it still, like I said, goes to show the star power that will be missed this upcoming football season for college. And honestly, we have a we have a couple of, of these players whose teams all together aren't playing. Moving forward, going to stick on, keep on sticking to football. I got a couple bullet points that I've uh, gathered from this past week in football. Um, it seems like every week the Washington football team is is on my podcast, is in the news with me. But uh, unfortunately, this isn't this isn't for regular football news. Washington. Washington football team head coach Ron Rivera has cancer. He is going to continue to uh, do his due diligence. He's going to still work with the team. Um, it's so it, I I think I, I forgot to write down what kind of cancer they said it was, but it isn't it isn't seeming like it's too 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 serious. It's not sounding like oh my gosh. Like obviously pray for Ron Rivera. We want to pray for him. Cancer it really sucks. And um, it, it really it really affects our country and affects a lot of people in a, a lot of different ways. It's very disappointing, very sad to see. But he has been diagnosed with cancer. He plans to continue coaching. Um, 
Coach Rivera said that the cancer is in early stages and is considered very treatable and cur- curable. Um, and he's like I said, he plans to he plans to go on and coach. And the the doctors encouraged him to. They said, "Don't slow down. Do do your physical activities." And I think that, that I think that's a key. Even just a little little side note, I think that's a very key thing when it comes to being sick in general. I understand that physically you do not feel your best. You literally are sick. You do not feel good. But sometimes being active and trying to live your life otherwise can can truly help like i remember i was i felt really sick uh this past year and i just kind of like laid in bed for like days it was like three days straight i was just laying in bed and on the third day i kind of just got it in my head like i was like i'm tired of just laying here i feel like i'm just letting sitting here wasting away and progressively as i started to move and started to get off the couch and legit just move my body more not even necessarily going outside or doing anything, just kind of physically just moving and, and being myself a little more and getting back to being myself, I started to feel better. I think it's a little underrated. Obviously, we're in a pandemic, so if you're feeling a little sick, stay stay inside. Stay your ass inside. It's not the time. But I just mean in general, like, when we don't feel, when we don't necessarily feel all the way like ourselves, sometimes putting on that good face, not for everybody else, for ourselves, putting on a good face and putting on a good front for yourself it is kind of like thinking it till you make it. And it is putting your best foot forward until your best foot actually is able to be put forward. Moving forward, <laughs> we've got a couple of cuts. Obviously, the football season is, is is right around the corner. They're getting ready to to actually try and get the season going. So we got some cuts. Uh, the New Orleans Saints cut not linebacker Nigel Bradham. Uh, Nigel's pretty solid. I mean, I feel like... I feel like when it comes to football, football is definitely one of those sports where you can be really, 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 really good one year, and the next year you might get cut off a team. Like, you might legit just get cut. And sometimes it's fit. Sometimes it's sometimes it really is like just it is just fit. Like, you don't fit on the team, or you don't get along with somebody. You don't get along with the coaches. You're not meshing well. You're not – like, it's a team sport. Football is a really, really team sport, especially on the defensive side. You got to be all together. Like, y'all have to be like one unit. And you got to know where A is going to be. You got to know where B is going to be. You got to know where C is going to be. So you, D, can be in your right spot. And everybody else is expecting you to be there. Um, Falcons cut um, offensive lineman Jamon Brown. If you remember one of my early episodes, I think it's either episode two. I think it's one of the first three. I think it's episode two. One of the first three episodes I was talking about Jamon Brown. He was going to, he's a, a Louisville native. He was going to wear... Uh, Brianna Taylor's name on his helmet, on his jersey. He was going to wear her name in some capacity this upcoming season. And I always think it's interesting when someone has like a social social justice message like that. Like, obviously the team can't force themselves to keep that player, especially if that player isn't fitting into what you're trying to do. But I always think it's a little interesting. Um, the big cut, the big, big, big cut of the week is Earl Thomas. The Ravens cut former Super Bowl champion Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is a very, very good player, but it, it just seems like he can't get his head screwed on straight, and he keeps on having these non-football issues that's going to keep him from being on on good teams. Like, it is said that the Cowboys are the front runners. He said that he wanted to be on the Cowboys last, last time it was possible when he was still playing for... The Seahawks, before he got to the Ravens, he was saying that if there's any other team I want to play for, it would be the Cowboys. So they're the front runners. They're definitely going to be trying to get in on him. He's still a, still a very good player. He's still very, very good at his job. It's just these off, not even off the field. 
he got cut because he got into an altercation. He got into a fight with another defensive back. Like, it is, is extremely rare that you see two players from the same position group getting into a fight. Um, but Chuck Clark, another defensive back, they just got, I think they said that um, Thomas, Isaiah Thomas blew an assignment and I guess Chuck Clark was letting them hear about it. He ripped off his helmet. Uh, Earl Thomas punched him and it, it just, it just, uh, yeah, they were not having it. They were like, oh, no, 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 no. You're out of here, buddy. Um, last year he had gotten into it. Uh, Earl Thomas had gotten into it with nose tackle Brandon Williams. Uh, I believe that, that that's almost a year, a year ago now. So it's, in 12 months, he has two different incidents with two different teammates on top of having a plethora of tardies and lates to team meetings. And you're you're professional. You're at the professional level. Going to practice, going to film session, going to all of these things, going to team meetings, these are all a part of your job. If I'm working at my job and they say, we got a meeting, you better be there, and I, don't, and I keep on showing up late, I keep on not showing up, I'm going to get fired. Being an NFL player, being an NBA player is no different. If you don't show up to the meetings, if you show up late, it's gonna start. To, it's gonna start having a stain on you, and you're gonna be out of here. So we really hope that Earl Thomas can get can get his head together, get his head straight. Um, he had nothing but good things to say about the Ravens organization, including their uh, GM. Had nothing but good things to say. Um, I was really happy that he he left. He more so left on good terms and didn't make a big deal about it and didn't try and. Um, didn't try and try and talk bad about anybody on his way out. He under he took responsibility and he got on out of there. But like I said, Cowboys is looking like the big team that's gonna be trying to get up in on on the Earl Thomas sweepstakes. I mean, if he can go to the yeah, there's there's a couple of teams that could use him. Because that, that that man's really, really good. Moving forward, let's talk talk stop talking about people getting cut from their teams, talk about somebody getting a big old contract. The Arizona Cardinals have made butter, not Bubba. Butter, Butter Baker, the highest paid safety in NFL history. Uh, Butter Baker is now a two-time Pro Bowl selection. Um, he was given, he's a second round pick of Atlanta's from 2017. His rookie contract was ex, was set to expire after this season. So they rewarded him with a four-year, $59 million extension. The deal will average at $14.75 million a year. Um, no further financial details are disclosed. Um, this extension comes four years after the Cardinals gave Tyron Matthew, another star safety, an extension. Tyron Matthew, obviously, is not with the team anymore. He plays for the Super Bowl, Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Um, the kid's good. The, I, I'm, I feel like this is, this, this is what I'm kind of talking about. I talked about this before, I think, in my football preview. When it comes, like, even what I was just saying a second ago, you can be completely unknown last year, and now you're getting more snaps, you're getting more touches, you're getting more time, you're getting more of an opportunity, and you, you got to do something with it. Like, the kid, kid's only been in the league for a couple of years. They said that this, this past season was his first at safety, and he still made the Pro Bowl. So, the kid's good. He, um, they said he has the most tackles of a defensive back in the past decade last season he had 147 tackles total like that, that man 147 tackles at safety is a lot and that's the most by any defensive back in the past decade 
he led the NFL last year with 104 um, solo tackles. The only player to have 100, at least 100 solo tackles last year. The thing that I found the most interesting about the guy is Baker doesn't have a single interception since entering the NFL. Talk about being a baller. How do you, as a defensive back, one of your main jobs is interceptions. Imagine being a center averaging no imagine being a center averaging less than a block for three years into your career and your team's like hey yo here's some more money we're about to make you the highest paid center in the league in the history of the league even like that just so that just goes to show you how good he is sometimes you don't have to sit here and get interception after interception get deflections to make a difference he gets he gets tackles he gets solo tackles a lot of them he don't need nobody else to tackle he plays a lot he has the most most coverage snaps of any player in the span in um, since he got drafted without inter- intercepting a pass. So it's not even just like, oh, he's not playing enough. No, he's playing and he's just a baller. Um, he's recorded 33 quarterback pressures since entering the NFL, the most by any defensive back in that span. He's been a steady presence for the Cardinals in both their pass and run defense. The kid, he has 33 run stuffs. That's tackles on a run play with no gain or a loss, which is tied with Jamal Adams, who just got traded for a lot, for second most since 2017. Baller. And the Cardinals just added um, Drake Kirkpatrick, former Alabama cornerback, former Bengals cornerback. I'm trying to tell y'all, man, the Cardinals will be looking kind of good next year. If the Cardinals mess around and make the playoffs... I'm going I'm to I'm be on my I told you so, and y'all have to hear it from me. Moving forward with baseball, baseball with football, um, the Minnesota Vikings have announced for their first two games they will not be having fans, um, as well as no fans indefinitely for the Chargers and the Rams or the 49ers, so California teams opting away from fans early on. However, the Miami Dolphins, as well as the University of Miami have both they're, they're both going to be using Dolphin Stadium they're going to allow fans at the home op- at their home openers respectively the college team the Miami Dolphins Hurricanes and the Miami Dolphins the University of Miami Hurricanes and the Miami Dolphins are each going to allow fans at the home opener they will be socially distanced which means that they will have up to 13,000 fans in attendance uh yeah, you can't wait to see that. You can't wait to see how that's going to work, especially I've been to football games. I've been to a lot of sporting events. Getting into the stadium and trying to socially distance is going to be quite the task. I'm, I'm very interested to see how it's going to work. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a hold out hope. Just kind of like I was I was very hesitant and holding out hope for the uh, basketball season to work. And it's worked absolutely smoothly. So I'm holding out hope for football. I've been holding out hope for baseball and hoping they can finish. It's to be seen. Um, speaking of coronavirus, we've had this past week, we had, or this past weekend, we had 77 false positives in testing. All of the false positives, we know they're false positives because they've all been retested and they came out um, as negative. It was said that it all came from the same lab. But um, I was listening to a couple of analysts this morning, and they were, um, I believe it was um, Tim Hasselback. Was it Tim or Matt? I think I'm pretty sure it was Tim. Tim Hasselback was making a very good point that this isn't, this is, it's okay. It, it's, 
it's okay to a point because they are false positives. But you cannot have this kind of thing happen again. This kind of thing is the kind of thing you need shored up. You're happy that it happens right now, in a sense, so then it doesn't happen during the season and that we can try and figure out how we ended up here, where things went wrong. But you, the false positives are very scary, especially because you don't want to end up holding out people from a game for no reason. If you get all these, if you get a bunch, 77 is a lot. If you get 77 false positives on game day, you don't have the time to retest those and be sure, be positive that they aren't positive. And even the other way around, you're getting false positives. You don't want to get false negatives. If you start to get false negatives, then and if you're getting a bunch of negatives, do you retest? Do you ever retest the negative test? So if you end up with false negatives, then you're putting out players who have coronavirus and that's going to commit the spread. They're sweating. <laughs> They're literally sweating on each other, They're literally grabbing, hugging on each other. Like it's going to be literally impossible for the spread not to happen on the field. So you have to make sure that the virus is not on the field. It is very scary. And you ha- you're happy that it happens earlier, sooner than later when you're in game and when things are a little closer a little more serious in terms of actually playing the games, but this is not a good sign going into the season, getting closer to the season. Um, last little story for football. The Detroit Lions canceled their practice today in protest to protest the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. Um, this is obviously another very big police shooting story in our country. It seems like we have one always happening, always going, because it's always happening. It is always going. Um, but the, the, we've been here, we, uh, the sports world is not, I I love the fact that the sports world is not going to ignore these things. Oh oh yeah, it's my Stephen A episode. So I'm about to start going in my big gripe when it comes to these situations, especially because we have LeBron talking about it. We have NBA players, the top NBA players talking about it. It's very much in the media, very much in the news. I see a lot of people commenting under these things. What about the little white boy that got shot? What about so-and-so? What about little Timmy over? Guess what? We know about Jacob Blake because we have video because it's being brought to our attention. You're the first person I've heard talk about little Timmy. And if I go on your page, you're not talking about little Timmy. You're only talking about it under this one post. So you're wondering, you're asking, why aren't we talking about little Timmy who got shot in, in his backyard by gang violence? A jackass no one people don't want there to just be gang violence people don't want there to just be violence on the streets we all are on the same side not wanting violence wanting clean streets for kids to be able to grow up and live normal lives no one wants crime no one wants that no one's just an anarchist that just wants crime so let's get that let's stop that notion let's stop talking about what about this crime as if everyone's like oh well we're not looking at that crime we don't care about that crime because fuck little timmy no that's not a thing that's not possible no 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 one's saying that <laughs> stop trying to move the goalposts. Stop trying to readjust what we're looking at, what we're talking about. You're literally, people are literally trying to change the conversation for no reason. Why is it that when we're talking about a black person who got killed in, by the police, we had to bring up somebody else who got killed by somebody on the street? Those are two different situations. Even if that kid got killed by the police, we don't want that kid killed by the police either. Yes, we want to talk about that kid as well, but it is an insurmountable amount of black people having to deal with this so again black lives matter and you have to focus on one 
I'm sorry that focusing on one thing is so hard for you people. But guess what? We care about Lil Timmy as well. It's just that Lil Timmy probably shouldn't have been doing A, B, or C. Like sometimes y'all like to like they, people like to bring up situations where it is actually like a situation like okay, well maybe Lil Timmy shouldn't have been in the middle of the street, especially after gunshots started being sprayed. Like Lil Timmy shouldn't have been in the street still. I'm sorry you got hit by a stray bullet, but guess what we don't want that happening either that's not okay we're not making excuses for that like we want both things to be talked about we want both things to be fixed we want the police to stop killing people whether they're black white or what like we don't want the police killing people they're the police they're supposed to protect protect and serve not murder oh my goodness it's like it, I, I don't get it like I don't get the point of bringing up other people who've been killed by the police when we're talking about somebody who's been killed by the police because they're white? Like, you think we don't care? No, it's the, even if you're talking about Black Lives Matter, what's the name of the organization? The organization's name is Black Lives Matter. So our job is to talk about black lives. The rest of you need to cover your people. <laughs> I don't understand how black people trying to cover black people is a problem now because y'all, we, we talk about white crime all the time. We talk about white collar crime all the time. We talk about all the bullshit that everybody else does all the time. That is constantly circulated in the news. The injustices that black people have to deal with is not being talked about all the time. There's a lot of cases, a lot of stories that people still do not know about that I can recite off the back of my hand. And these are cases that are absolutely appalling. And that's why I want people to understand why we keep on talking about these things because Jacob Blake is lit, literally trying to stop a fight between two other people and leaving the situation and he gets shot in his back like in front of his children like where's the where's the humanity where's the where's the humanity where is the training because I don't see I don't, I, I don't know about y'all but I don't see no police training I don't know what they hell to get trained to do they get trained to eat donuts a certain way I don't know but I'm so sick and tired of hearing all these other things as if they can't all be true. Like, we can care about Lil Timmy, but be talking about Jacob Blake. The difference is Lil Timmy's gonna get his justice. Whoever shot Lil Timmy's probably gonna go to jail for a very long time. That cop probably is not gonna go to jail for a very long time. Even though he just murdered someone in cold blood for no real good reason. That is the difference. So, sorry, I had to get on a little tangent real quick, but I'm good now. I think I'm good now. I'll, I'll go on a tangent on something else now. Let's go. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the NBA. Um, I'm already on a tangent. Forget it. I'm already on a tangent. I'm already. On, I already went on a tangent. Let's go on another one. So, basketball news. We'll go ahead and start on the coaches. Brett Brown, the Philadelphia 76ers, after seven seasons, finally woke up and saw. They finally woke up and smelled the coffee. They woke up and smelled the flowers. Brett Brown has finally been fired. I'm sorry, if you listen to me, if you talk to me about the Philadelphia 76ers, I've heard a lot of talk about, is it Embiid? Is it Ben? Who's the issue? I'll tell you who the issue is. The issue has been Brett Brown for years. Now, I understand giving Brett Brown his leeway, he was handed a team that was a rebuild. He was handed a team that said, oh, we're gonna, we have this star player that we're gonna develop, but he's not gonna play for two years. 
but we want you to coach this team. So I understand he, he gets a little extra leeway because y'all started him off in a bad situation, in a bad position. Then Markel also, Nerlens Noel, he's had multiple players, multiple draft picks that didn't pan out. And he's had to try and go out there and do the best with his team. So Brett Brown, good on you for sticking around for that long, for not resigning. Good on you. But you stink. Um, Brett Brown's a hard-nosed coach. He's a very, he's, he, they've, they've talked about how he's a hard-nosed coach and and how and uh, what kind of coach he is. I've just waited to see his team be the same way. I do not believe that all the blame should be placed on Brett Brown. I believe that sometimes the players just got to play better. Um, sometimes you get a, the the unlucky end of the stick that those bounces. If Kawhi Leonard's shot takes one more bounce off that rim, Brett Brown is held in a very high is, is a, held in a much higher discussion. Honestly, the whole league is different if that happens. But the Sixers were literally one shot away from being in the conference finals. So hey, Brett Brown isn't the worst coach. I'm not gonna sit here and desecrate his name and act like he hasn't done anything. He's done he he's done his job. He's done his job to a certain extent. However, when you have such talented players, you have to figure it out. Whether it's telling Ben Simmons to shoot the ball and shoot the ball. <laughs> and telling him to shoot the ball in game and telling him, hey, I'm the coach. I'm the one who's you're not gonna get you're not gonna get traded for missing three pointers. I'm gonna get fired for you missing three pointers. As the coach, I'm putting my job on the line. Go shoot those three-pointers. If we if you miss and we lose, you miss and we lose. But we'll be fine. Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are just simply too talented. Way, way, way too talented for the way that team has looked this past year. And that's not even just saying offensively, defensively. Ben Simmons is a is a is all-team defense. He the the deflections, the steals, the instincts he has on defense are so amazing and then you put him next to a 7-2 behemoth to protect the rim and then you say you have Al Horford who's an amazing defender in his own right also as well as Josh Richardson who ain't a slouch on defense but sometimes their defense would just disappear sometimes their defense wouldn't be there and I'm like for you to be this hard-nosed tough coach where is it where's that Where's the where's Philly? Like I've been waiting for Philly basketball to be a thing for a minute now. And he had those seven years. He's had Embiid for all, his entire tenure. I wanted to see more of a culture being built out there, but Jimmy Butler said it. He exposed it. He said it and I've believed it ever since. There ain't no culture over there. There ain't no accountability being held over there. So I'm hoping that Elton Brand can go ahead and spearhead the rebuild of the team, keep Joel, make Ben start shooting some threes, make Joel be dominant and get him in condition. And Try and build something. They have too much talent over there. Tobias Harris has to be better. I think he might get happy to get traded. Um, they got they need a better coach because Al Horford's amazing. You got Al Horford because he was Clint. Al Horford's the only player in the league that can guard Giannis and Embiid. <laughs> Don't tell me he's not, because I saw him do it. Only player in the league that can guard Giannis and Embiid. So they went and got that, and they don't know how to use him. Even though he's offensively very solid as well. Shoot, I would have said switch. Make make Embiid play a little pseudo. Make him play a little point forward <laughs> in the half-court offense and make Ben play off the ball and try and get some backdoor cuts, throw some lobs. Like, you got to do something. You just have to try something different. Like, even moving out to the bench, like, I don't really mind that. But Al Horford's a very good player, and you have to use him. He's, he's a winner. He's a winning player. Winning follows Al Horford. 
not necessarily winning championships in the NBA, but winning. Like, his team's always winners. They always go to the playoffs. His team, he's always on a winning team. So you have to use that to your advantage. He knows how to win. He knows how to play the game. Like, you have to use that to your advantage. And especially, you have him, he's an OG. Use him to make Embiid better. Especially not just being dominant, but, like, finessing a little more. And if if you're going to shoot the ball, shoot it well. <laughs> Embiid started to shoot the ball a little, a little better in the bubble. Uh, in the games that I caught against the... Sixers, I feel like I saw him shooting the ball a little better. I don't really mind him shooting because that's kind of the way the league is. And because you're so big, you're so dominant, it's the element of surprise sometimes. You got to just get that shot up. But that offense was just so bad. (laughs) And they didn't really have any real shooters, and that goes back to roster construction. So I feel like overall it's everybody's fault. Philly all together, everyone got to get their head out of their ass, get their head out of the sand, and decide they want to win a championship because they have talent. They have the pieces that they can put together and start putting together. They have the puzzle pieces to start trying to build a championship, but it starts with the culture. I can say this every single week. If you listen to me, you know, every week I'm talking about culture, sports culture, uh, culture in a sports team is absolutely instrumental to them winning a championship. The Raptors have had a culture since DeMar DeRozan was there, they've had that same culture. Now, it got switched up a little bit because Dwayne Casey got fired, Nick Nurse came in. Their cultures, the way they, they run a team is very similar, actually. So Nick Nurse kind of was like, oh, hey, y'all already kind of doing what I want y'all to do. But here's how I do it. So he established his culture. And they added a, a they only added one player in Kawhi. And they went and won a championship because they had a culture set up. And you added one player for one year, and all he did was look around like, you guys kind of got it nice over here. You guys kind of do things the right way over here. I like it. And they went out and won a freaking championship. Yeah, That's how culture works. Teams need culture. Teams need a foundation. Teams need a basis in order to be like, oh, who are we? We are A, B, and C. We are a, like the Magic. The Magic got a game on the Bucks. The best team in basketball, they got a game on them because they have a culture. They play hard. They they fight. They The Brooklyn Nets, were they got swept, but they, they made it competitive. They stayed in that series as much as they could because they fight. They fought. They scratch and claw. They do the dirty work. And they it might not be pretty, but guess what? It's a W. I don't care if it's pretty. It's a dub. And that that's how it works. When you have a hard-nosed coach who's going to coach you to seriously be about that life and really go at it and... I don't care who we're missing. I don't care who you got. We're going to go out there and get this dub. We're going to go out there and fight and scratch and claw tooth and nail to go get that dub. And I thought Brett Brown could be that kind of coach, and he apparently he's not. So hopefully Philadelphia can go back to being Philly because I don't know about y'all, but whenever I hear about Philly, I imagine somebody cracking their knuckles, doing some dirty work, getting down and dirty, doing whatever it takes to get a dub, doing whatever it takes to get the job done. That's how I imagine Philly. It's dogs. It's, it's a it's dog. The culture should be there already. So they gonna need a dog coach to put some dog in their players because they have some players who can be dogs. Like I feel like Ben gonna be a dog. I feel like Ben gonna be a gritty. Like whatever the team needs to win, I feel like that's what Ben's gonna do. Um. So I I see Ben like that. They have Mike Scott. They got they got they don't have no pushovers. They don't have no dudes who you can just oh I'm just gonna go in here and do whatever I want. Like it's not. It's not rocking like that. Philly, Philly ain't like that. So they need a coach that embodies that and pushes that culture forward to help them out. Moving forward in coaching, at least. Nick Nurse, while I was just talking about my mans, 
Nick Nurse just got coach of the year. He got 90 out of the 100 votes for coach of the year. Seemed a little, a little like, damn. I saw that. I was like, damn. Um, I thought that he was a very good choice. Uh, obviously, him, Coach Budenholzer from the Bucks, the best team in the league, always should have a coach of the year candidate. Um, and Billy Donovan from the Thunder as well. The Thunder weren't even predict. No one thought, like, unless you are a fan of the Thunder, a fan of Chris Paul, no one thought the Thunder were going to make the playoffs. And they're in the playoffs. They're now 2-2. They're, they're, they're seriously in the playoffs. So he definitely deserves looks as coach of the year because when no one expects you to be here and you're here, coaching, players stepping up, it all it all goes hand in hand. Um, What else we got? We got, oh, yes, 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 yes. This past week, we have the NBA draft lottery, which let us know the order of the draft. Um, the draft is currently, um, currently we're looking at October 16th for holding the NBA draft in the Barclays Centers in, in New York. Um, but yeah, I'll, I figured I'd go over, go over the, the, the order. Uh, at number one, we got the Minnesota Timberwolves, which I think is going to be absolutely beautiful. I think that's going to be amazing for them. Um, I feel like they can't go wrong with who they pick, and with who they pick really. Um, yeah, literally, I feel like they can't really go wrong, and they have another. They have a seventeenth pick as well. So, honestly, I'm I'm really excited for Mi- for Minnesota. I I oh excuse me, sorry, sorry, sorry. I was saying years ago that Minnesota has a real chance to make the playoffs and really like make some leeway, make their way in to the playoffs. And you know, whether it's injuries, the whole Jimmy situation happened, obviously they've had a few different things and it hasn't really worked out for them that well. But I think that this draft is going to be the beginning of something good for them. Hopefully they don't, they don't mess up with the pick. I mean, I think that, it is very, very real. It's a very, very, very real possibility that the whole top five gets shifted around. We have a lot of trades going here or there. Um, but I think that this draft is going to... This draft has been talked about very weakly. And I disagree. I think there's going to be a lot... I think there's actually going to be a good amount of role players that come out of this draft. I think this draft is going to have a good amount of role players. Um, besides that... I do see the star potential at the top. And I do see the star potential towards the what they have projected, but towards the end of the first round, I definitely believe that we're going to still have players, the Donovan Mitchells, the Giannis's, not, not, not exactly the Giannis's, that's a little much, but the Jokic, the Jokic. I 100% believe that we have multiple players in this draft that are being, that are being underrated, that no one sees coming, and that are going to play very, very well. I fully, I fully believe that. Um, going forward, we have the, the Minnesota Timberwolves picking first, the Golden State Warriors picking second, Charlotte Hornets are going to be third, followed by the Bulls, the Cavs, the Atlanta Hawks, the Detroit Pistons, the New York Knicks, the Washington Wizards, and the Phoenix Suns round out the top 10. I think this draft is going to be really, really good, people. Remember I said it. Hey, I'm, and just like I keep on telling people, I have no problem being wrong. I have absolutely no beef, no gripes with being wrong. Trust me, I don't. But I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of potential out of this draft, especially if people can do what they're supposed to do, if they can develop talent the way they're supposed to. 
I am wholeheartedly, completely in on this draft. I think this draft is going to be very solid. Um, moving forward, the NBA playoffs roll on in the bubble down in Orlando. I figured I'd, I'd kind of, I was going to kind of go in some kind of order, but considering we have some series already wrapped up, I would go ahead and start with those ones. Um, as I was saying earlier, we'll, we'll go ahead and go with uh, Toronto and Brooklyn first. Of course, Brooklyn had a very, very uphill battle to fight in the beginning without a, without a whole playoff rotation amount of players. They were missing, I believe, seven or eight players. Some teams, like the Rockets, the Rockets are only playing eight players total right now. <laughs> so you literally have a whole playoff rotation of players missing from the Brooklyn Nets. In, down in the bubble. So, I, hey, they were competitive. They won a lot of games in the seeding games, which I, I fully believe they won a couple of those games because teams weren't really trying. They Not necessarily not trying, of course, but they didn't have anything to play for in those games. So you, you don't ha- you're not going to play your starters the entire game in case someone gets hurt, in case something happens. Like You don't want to risk it, and it's not worth it, especially in a game where you don't gain anything. If you're not going to gain another spot, or you're not going if to... You, if you're not going to... If you're the sixth seed... And you want to be the fifth seed, fifth seed, then okay, sure, you're gonna play against the Nets. You're gonna play as hard as you can. But if you win or lose the game, and you're still the sixth seed, I don't really care if the Nets beat us today, because they're gonna. I mean, they're gonna still be the seventh seed. We're gonna still be the sixth seed. Like, it's another game. It's, in this sense, it is just another game, and we're just looking forward trying to get into the playoffs. Um, Toronto handled business. Toronto handled business for real. And what I love about the Toronto Raptors, what I see in the Toronto Raptors that I feel like a lot of other people see, is the fact that it's the next man up. It's always, it's always someone. It's never like if the whole team just shoots poorly, then they shoot poorly. They just have a bad game. That's anybody. But if Kyle Lowry goes out of the game, which he did in Game Four, he went out. Fred VanVleet steps up for him. Uh, Norman Powell, 29 points off the bench. Marcus Saul, best game in the bubble, I'm pretty sure. You have two players who, in, from what I've seen from the Raptors all, all bubble, Mark Gasol and Norman Powell weren't their offensive options. They were more, for, more so their defensive options. They had them there to play defense to really make sure they do their part on defense and hold everybody else accountable to play defense. But here they are. I believe Mark had 22. So that's a, a combined 50 points between two players who don't normally do that. Who probably, who probably had 50 points in the last five games to combined together. But here they are, 50 points in a game together, in a, in a closeout game. So I, I, to me, the Raptors are dangerous because they have so many different options. You have Norman Powell can get 20. Marcus Saul can get 20. Pascal can get, can get 20. Kyle Lowry can get 20. Fred Van Vliet can get 20. OG Ananobi can get 20. Terrence Davis can get 20. You have Mike Thomas still off the bench who's a sharpshooter. Uh, Serge Ibaka can get 20. Like, I, that's nine players. I just named nine players. I just named eight players who can get 20. That's dangerous. That's very... And I'm not talking about no... Like, it, it's legit like a next man up. Like, who's got the the right matchup? Who's, who's open? Who's hitting today? Kind of thing. They have... Over a start, they have more than five players who can score 20. And it's not like I'm just saying that, like I'm just, I have tangible evidence that we have, we've already had five players score 20. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I think Ibaka scored 20. Let's not say Ibaka. Marcus saw uh, Norman Powell, 
Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam. That's already five. They've already had five players score over 20 points in these playoffs in those four games. Obviously, it's the Nets. Obviously, they're a little weakened, but still, that that's the way they play. They play defense first and foremost, but they have multiple players who they trust and who can go out there and get buckets for them. And it makes it makes a big difference. Um, speaking, and the, again, this is why I do my episodes um, the morning of. Um, since I started this episode, they've uh, broken the news. The Toronto Raptors actually held a team meeting before Tuesday's practice to discuss how they will respond to the shooting of Jacob Blake uh, by police in Wisconsin. They even thought about not playing. And this is game one. They, the game one of the second round of their second round series against Boston is on Thursday. They're considering not playing the game in protest. I love it. I just love it. I just absolutely love the way that sports is making their voice heard and refusing to just take any of this laying down. I absolutely love it. But I I haven't read that much on that story. Obviously, the news broke this morning, so I won't go too far into that. Um, segwaying into the other sweep, uh, Boston versus Philly. Um, I thought I feel I honestly just really feel for for Philly, even with Ben Simmons having if even if Ben Simmons would have been playing for them. A very key anecdote when it comes to the Sixers team this year is they were 31 and 4 at home. Like, that's ridiculous. That is a ridiculously good record at home. So, I really do feel for them. Their overall record ended up being 43 and 30. 31 and 4 at home? Like, I'm pretty sure it's the best home record in the league. The only team I can see having a better home record would probably be. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, but they have a better, better home record. That's a home, better home record than the um, than the oh yeah, even better record than the Bucks. The Bucks are thirty and five at home. Wow, wow! And the Bucks are they've talked about how historically good the Bucks are at home. Even the Raptors are also always a very good home team. Um, yeah, they, it's looking like they're far, leaps and bounds away the best home home team in the league. So being in this environment in the bubble is literally not being home. You are considered the home team for two of the games that you play, but or for three of the games you end up playing in the series. But still, like they couldn't win outside of Philly with or without Ben. Winning outside of Philly was foreign to them. They barely did it. They were struggling mightily to win outside of Philadelphia. So the bubble situation was always a, a, a death sentence, really. And then you throw losing Ben on top of it and... It, it really is just a short end of the stick for, for the whole team. And Boston did their job. Like I said um, with a preview of the series, Kimball Walker has to be that guy still. Jason Tatum has to be the guy. He wants to be the guy, and he's happy. He's relishing the moment of being the guy for the Boston Celtics. Jalen Brown knows his role. He's like, hey, I'm not, like, number one, but I am for sure, like, number two, 2A, two 2B. Two like, I'm a, I am one of the main scoring options on this team. And he plays like it, and he does his job, and he plays very good defense as well. He doesn't... Um, slack on the defensive side at all um, while trying to maintain his offense and Kimball Walker has been that third guy for them he has definitely been like ball. he's been balling even at like, that game four he was, he was doing the damn thing he was very decisive and he said y'all going home I'm sorry y'all playing well y'all trying to fight for it but guess what you're going home sorry so Kimba's the way if Kimba can keep on playing the way he's playing next to Jalen Brown and next to Jason Tatum 
that team is very scary. They have a lot of offense, and they don't really give up. They don't give up. They they keep trying. Um, their big their biggest weakness is size and um, uh, and and bigs. So if they Philly, they already beat Philly. They swept Philly, and Embiid had a very good series. So it's it's gonna have to be seen how Boston can navigate continuing through the playoffs, especially against Toronto. Toronto doesn't have like overwhelmingly good bigs, but Pascal Siakam's very good, and JT's been was playing really good defense. I was actually very surprised. His defense is definitely looking very elevated, and he's definitely playing playoff defense. Um, but can he guard Pascal Siakam, especially down low in the post? And how is that going to work for them? Are they going to start running bigger lineups? What what are the options that they're going to run? Um, but I'll I'll get to that in a second. I'm going to save the the second round options until a little bit after. Um, going forward into our other sweep, Miami versus Indiana. Indiana, another team. I thought they've really got a rough a rough uh, the short end of the stick. If you ask me, I feel like uh, Sabonis was their best player this year, and losing him was a was a big big blow. Then even with T.J. Warren um, balling out of his mind, having a very good uh, couple of seeding games, Victor Oladipo didn't really seem like ever really to me at least. Victor Oladipo never really seemed like himself out there. He still looked like he was trying to. He was still seemed like he was coming coming back from that injury, and he was still trying to trying to get get everything right and. It just—I feel like those two things coupled on top of each other, and then T.J. Warren having to play against the Miami Heat and play against uh, Jimmy Butler, who's going to be on his ass for that entire series. It was just a, it, again, a death, it was just a death sentence. Like there was nothing they could really do about it. They could try their best. They—they're a hard-fighting team, but Miami has their number. Miami plays defense, and they—they they figure out what you're good at, and they're going to attack it. They're not going to let you do what you're good at. They're going to find your what you've been keen on, what you've been doing very well, and they're going to attack it. They're not going to let you just do that all day. They're going to make it difficult. Even if you are, again, doing it all day, they're going to make it hard for you to do that all day. They're going to make you want to shy away from it, even. So, I I just feel like they got a rough end of the stick, but they got some decisions to make. Indiana is like Philly. They got some decisions to make this offseason, and it's going to be very, very interesting for them to see how they come out after it. Like, Victor might have to get out of there. We're, we're going to have to see. Is looking a little scary. Okie dokie, let's go ahead and move on from the other series that aren't sweeps. Um, we have three series currently that are 3-1. Uh, I think I'll go, I'll go, uh, I'll go with Lakers first. I'll go with the Lakers first. Um, the Lakers have been playing very, very well. Um, since that first game, that first game, they didn't really look like themselves. They looked a little, they, they still, they were trying to, trying to get it together. I don't, I don't know exactly what they were doing, but... They they've definitely looked much 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 better since game one. I almost made a whole episode just screaming at the Lakers, <laughs> but they've looked a lot better since game one. Obviously, things are a, lot, a little easier with Zach Collins being out for the season with the ankle surgery, and Damian Lillard um, dislocating his finger, and then subsequently now having hurt his knee in game four. He has been ruled out for Game Five, so it's looking like. I mean, obviously, don't, don't, don't call it until it's done. But it's looking like it's going to be a, a the finishing of the series for the the Lakers in the next game with no Damian Lillard, who's been the absolutely best player in the bubble, the bubble MVP by leaps and bounds. Um, let me not say by leaps and bounds, but he's been playing pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, so 
you know, it, it's really sad. You really, you really hate to see it for the Blazers that they've been struggling with injuries all year. Um, people keep on forgetting that Rodney Hood is on that team. Rodney Hood's supposed to be playing for the Blazers. He got hurt early on in the season with a torn Achilles. So even with the four months off, even with the bubble situation, he was never going to come back. Um, he was never going to come back and play basketball in 2020. So um, I think that that is a very big thing that people have to realize. Missing, not even just missing key players, but like missing this many key players for this much time. Like Rodney Hood is a very important part of that team. Rodney Hood, instead of the minutes that Anthony Simons would be playing right now, that might be Rodney Hood be playing. And that's a 6'8 guard. Like he's he's definitely better than Anthony Simons. He's bigger than Anthony Simons. Like. It, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And sometimes he catches fire. Sometimes he has very good 26, 28-point games. Like, it makes a big difference even just having that body on the floor. So between Collins, Lillard, uh, CJ McCollum has a fracture in his back. Nurkic lost his grandmother, which is one of the most three important people in his life. He lost his grandmother while being in the bubble. Um... It's just tough. Like it, it, like I said, you get the short end of the stick sometimes. Sometimes you, everyone's hurt. Let's not act like everyone's not hurt. Every single team in the playoffs is hurt. Every single team in the bubble is really hurt. But I let's see. I'm going to go over Toronto. Is Toronto not hurt? Oh, no. Kyle Lowry just, twist, just hurt his ankle. He's not. Kyle Lowry might, might miss uh, game one. Kyle Lowry's hurt. <laughs> let's see. Brooklyn. I don't even need to talk about Brooklyn. We know who a bunch of people are hurt for Brooklyn. Uh, the Clippers have been struggling to get everybody back. Montrez isn't injured, but he's obviously still catching up and trying to get back to full speed. Dallas, Luka's gotten hurt this series. Jalen Brunson's hurt. Um, KP's hurt. G- KP's not playing game five. Denver, they're out. They're down. Will Barton, Gary Harris. Utah, they're down. Brojan Brogdanovich to wrist surgery. Boston, they just lost Gordon Hayward. They're going to lose him anyway. Philly's lost Ben. Miami, is Miami not hurt? Does Miami not have any injuries? I think Miami might be one team that's not hurt. And that's the team. And Jimmy was just has a, has a shoulder injury. He currently has an injury that he's playing through. So even the Heat, they have to worry. The, a big thing for the Heat is health for the rest of the playoffs. Because if Dragic goes down, it's a big, big loss. Even with Kendrick Nunn trying to come in and replace him. Kendrick Nunn's a rookie. Dragic has been in this league for a very, very long time. And been to the playoffs multiple times. He knows how to win in the playoffs way more than Kendrick Nunn does. So between Dragic, Jimmy... Kelly Olenek, their entire team. Like, if they go down with even one person, if one injury happens, the Heat are going to be in a little bit of scary trouble. So they need health out the ass. Victor Oladipo just came back from injury, and Sabonis was hurt for Indiana. Houston's down Russ. OKC? Is OKC healthy? OKC is fully healthy, I think. I th- I definitely saw Big Steve go down at one point in this series against Houston, but I know he's still been playing. I know he's been he's been working through it. So, uh, OKC, Miami, Milwaukee, and that's it. Because the Lakers got Rondo with injuries. I just talked about Portland's injuries. Orlando has a list of injuries in their own right. Everyone's hurt. Injuries happen. So, injuries aren't really an excuse for why teams lose. It's why a team loses. It's not an excuse for you losing. Because that's why teams have depth. To make up for who's not there. <laughs> um... But yeah, the, the, everyone gets hurt. That's a part of the game. It, it sucks to suck, but it sucks to suck. Like, everyone gets hurt. Move the frick on. Like, it happens. If you if you lose because someone got hurt, then guess what? Your season isn't as bad as you think. 
you have a tangible reason for your loss. It's not like, oh man, so-and-so didn't step up. Well, technically it is, but at the same time, you have a certain amount of talent on your team for a reason. Once that amount starts getting cut down by people being hurt, obviously the hill gets a little steeper. But the Lakers should be wrapping up this series. I absolutely loved Game 4. The Game 4 was crazy good. Um, I'm loving... Game 4 and Game 3, I just feel like I'm seeing a little bit more out of LeBron. Um, My friends keep on getting mad at me because I keep on saying he was holding back. But I just feel like he's... he's, It seems like he's jumping a little higher. Obviously, Game 4, he's shooting 30, 40-footers, just letting them off. Like, obviously, it's the jerseys. Obviously, it's Mamba Day. But... I feel like even in game three, we were seeing the same kind of guy. Like, LeBron's just coming. He's coming out. He, he, he's he been chilling, really. Like, he's been letting AD be the main guy, be the main scorer. He's been doing that all season, really. Letting AD be the main scorer for the team, dishing it out, being the main playmaker. But, whew, that man, Bron, was going kind of crazy. And my my part that I'm loving is the the – I love the way that we stagger LeBron's limits, minutes, the way the coaching staff of the Lakers – staggers LeBron's minutes because obviously he's 35 years old he's playing in he's he's been playing the game for so so long but the the letting him get these rests like you see players like James Harden type players play the entire fourth round fourth round fourth quarter and he may still play well he may still get hit the game winning shot at the end but you can see it in him in the whole last two minutes. He's gassed. He's tired. He's really, really tired. The Lakers will let LeBron start the fourth quarter, take him out for a good three, four-minute stretch in the middle, and then throw him back in there. And it's like, hey, that's that's going to help. That's, that's very beneficial for an older player, especially to where he doesn't have to continuously be running and doing all that stuff. Like, he can go back on the bench and hit the massage gun one time. Like, he can go back and start resting up and get ready for the end of the game and really even mentally prepare for the end of the game and really, like, be ready to come back in and, and help the team. Because a lot of times when LeBron sees the, the bench, the Lakers play a little worse. They they don't necessarily they – obviously, the, they missing a little beat without their main playmaker. So, even if we can – even when we play well and he gets to come back into the game, that's beneficial for him because – he left us with a lead. If he comes back to an even bigger lead, then let's blow this thing open. Um, let's see. What other? Let's go to the other one seed, the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Magic. You know, the Magic winning that first game really is a testament to how hard they play and how hard that team plays for Steve Clifford. Steve Clifford's a very good coach. Um, Charlotte should have never let him go because he's a very good coach. And he... he he asks his players for a lot. He asks a lot of his players. He wants them to commit really to the game and really play hard and commit to playing hard. Like I said, that that grit. Um, and that showed. That's, that, like, that's how you win those games. That's how you win those insurmountable games. That's how you beat a one seat. You have to do the dirty work. You have to do all the little grimy things to get that dub. And you have to do it for 48 minutes. You have to do it consecutively, play after play. You have to limit your mistakes to a T. That's why... Brooklyn didn't beat Toronto in any of those games. They could have won probably all four of those games, low-key. They probably had a chance to win all four of those games, but as as a lower seed, as a team who's in, who's missing star players, who's already on an uphill battle, you have to limit mistakes so much. Like they have to play a mistake-free game in order to beat such a good team. And the first game, the Magic did that. 
Now Milwaukee's woken back up. <laughs> Chris Middleton even's woken back up. He had a good fourth quarter in Game Four, and they're going to wrap it up. I mean, we no one no one predicted the Bucks to lose the series to the Magic, but no one. A lot of people really didn't predict. I mean, actually, I, I, I a friend of mine's friend predicted for the Magic to win a game, and got roasted by my me my friend's group chat, and I was just like, dang, like. She just, they, they had a chance. They could win one, and they won the first game. So, you know, it really is any given Sunday, and you really got to just go out there and play hard, and that's what Steve Clifford's team does. Um, Vooch is amazing. Vucevic is absolutely amazing. He looks a little unguardable at times. Um, Vooch is amazing. Fultz is going to is is already really good. He's going to be great. He's only learning and getting better. He looked he looked really good, in my opinion. I saw a lot of very, very good things out of Markel Fultz. And this is playoff experience, which is always very good for a young player. Um, and they're gonna they 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 were missing a lot of talent. So they're gonna get a lot of talent back next year and hopefully they can use this as a springboard to try and put it together and, and um try and get try and really make a difference in the future. On to the other series, that is 3-1, the Denver Nuggets and the Utah Jazz. Honestly, as disappointed as everyone's been in the Philadelphia 76ers, I am even more disappointed in the Denver Nuggets in the bubble right now and in this series. Uh, Utah is doing what they're supposed to do. Quinn Snyder's a really good coach. Quinn Snyder's gone under the radar as a very good coach, but uh, Quinn's actually really, really good. I think he's showing how good of a coach he is in this series, um, him and his coaching staff, they are, I was watching, I was I was very intent on this series to begin with because I, I, I'm looking for Jokic to prove to me that he's the best center in the league like I've been hearing. I'm looking for Jamal Murray. I'm looking for, I'm looking for the whole team. I'm looking for them. I'm looking, I'm staring dead at him like what y'all got for me. But I'm also looking at Donovan Mitchell. I'm also looking at Rudy Gobert. I'm looking at how the Jazz looks since the whole pandemic started, since the league got canceled and they had a lot of chemistry issues. They had a lot of problems between one, one another because Rudy Gobert gave Donovan Mitchell coronavirus. So I want to see how they were going to play. And they're playing very together. They're playing very cohesive. If nothing else, I would assume that the whole thing with Rudy has made them closer. And I mean, I, I can still see where everyone kind of, I feel like people, I feel like I see like the guards in general just get irritated with Rudy because I mean, he's not a guard. He doesn't have that same level of skill. He doesn't do the thing that he doesn't think the same way that they, that they think. So, I feel like I see like the guards kind of get irritated with with him in that regard. But they look fine. Everyone looks like they're cool with Rudy. The team's playing very very well. Donovan Mitchell's absolutely out of his mind. For every single person out there who said that Donovan Mitchell isn't special, who said that Donovan Mitchell ain't ain't that good, don't deserve to be in the same sentence as Dwayne Wade's or LeBron James's and star players. This series is for you. And he said that. He said, I, I'm the kind of guy I love to hear other people talking. I love to hear you talking about what I'm doing because I'm going to use that as fuel every single time. I sit back and listen. I listen to every single word of disrespect that comes towards, comes towards my name because I'm going to prove you wrong. I love this kid to death. I see, I've see. i seen, since his rookie year, I've seen a lot of Dwayne Wade and Donovan Mitchell. Like, it's uncanny to me. To me personally, it's uncanny how much I see D. Wade and Donovan Mitchell. And I think that the kid has a stupid amount of potential that just has to be tapped into. He looks like he's tapping into it right now. And so I, now it's get Donnie some help. It's hashtag help Donnie. Um, early on in the series, Joe Ingles was playing very, very well. Ironically, since Mike Conley has gotten back, he's kind of fell off the face of the earth. 
I feel like I see him shooting one for eight, zero for six. Like I feel like I've only seen him hit like one shot since Mike Conley, since Mike Conley came back. But he was kind of playing point guard for them a little bit. Like him and Donnie were kind of splitting the point guard role with Mike Conley gone. So now that I feel like Mike Conley's back and he's balling the way he is, Joel Ingles is still trying to figure out where exactly he fits and how to how to fit in. Ironically, I feel like he should just be doing what um, Georges Niang is doing, but. You know, I haven't I haven't watched I haven't really I didn't really get to watch all of uh, games three through five. I've seen some of them, but I didn't get to get to watch a lot of them. So I haven't really seen exactly what Joe Ingles has done or hasn't done, as opposed to what I saw in game one and two. I think Utah takes a series. I think they finish it on off. Um, maybe not. I think that Denver is a hard fighting team. They're not going to take it laying down. So I think they might be able to sneak one more game, but the way Donovan Mitchell is playing, the way Mike Conley is playing, the way Rudy Gobert is playing, the way the team is playing, the way Jordan Clarkson is playing, whoo, Jordan Clarkson looking real good. The way the Utah Jazz are playing right now, I actually think they might finish this off tonight. Then they might finish it off in five or six. But I got Utah winning this series. I don't do not see Denver winning three straight games because of the way they've been playing in the first four games. Their defense has been non-existent, really, and I'm like. Even if your defense is not existing, I'm looking at the offense then. If you're not going to play any defense, then y'all need to be scoring, scoring, scoring. Joey should have 30. MPJ should be bordering 30. He should be having a baller games. Jamal Murray should have 50 last night. And I'm so happy to see him really coming out of his shell and really showing the score that I thought he can be, that I thought that Denver needed him to be. But now he's got to be a leader. Him and Jokic have to draw that team together and muster up some defense out of them. And Mike Malone has to figure out the rotation and not play MPJ as much if it's really hindering their defense that much. Because every time I see Michael Porter Jr. playing defense, he's getting cooked. And people are someone's blowing by him, someone's using him, someone's attacking him, and someone's using him in order to attack the defense. And if I'm the coach, you just can't play in that situation. It's kind of like Ennis Cantor. Like, if they're just attacking you every single play, you have to provide enough on the other side of the ball in order for them... And Like, you have to be providing the kind of production on the other side of the ball where the offense is super efficient or we're just scoring every single time to the point where the fact that they're scoring on you every time on the, on the other side of the ball is null, null and void. But MPJ is a rookie. He, he, he isn't out there. He isn't a big enough part of the offense even to be getting these buckets in and out the same way he's being given buckets in and out. Like, they're attacking him, and it's really disappointing. And I'm a little disappointed in Mike Malone for leaving him out there that much because if you see the kids getting crucified on defense, then you got to put somebody else in. Like, you got to play somebody else, honestly. You, I understand you're down to two of your wing players, two players that technically play a position. But you got to do something. You got to figure it out. Because MPJ is absolutely getting torched on the defensive side of the ball, and that's just not... The whole team is getting torched on the defensive side of the ball. So when you have one player that you can for sure say is getting torched, maybe you start playing him a little less, because your whole defense is suffering, and you got to figure something out, because y'all are not... They're not playing defense. The Denver Knights are just simply not playing defense. Period. <laughs> and it's worrisome. So I got Utah taking the rest of this series. Now for our two our two 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 series, Houston and Oklahoma City is is turning into a series of the ages, really. Um, LaQuince Dort, I think, is starting to figure out James Harden. He's been playing extremely good defense, I believe, in the last two games. Um, Harden is three for twenty one from the field against winning when with LaQuince Dort guarding him. And of course, um, I think this I think this same I'm not saying that this is the same thing because LaQuince Dort is 
a very good defender. If you do not know who this kid is, number five for the Oklahoma City Thunder, LaQuince Dort is his name. Went to Arizona State. Uh, he's a rookie. Kid plays defense. Kid plays defense. Seriously. Seriously, very, very good defender. I think that this series is going to be his coming out party. I think this playoffs is going to be his come out, coming out party. We're going to be talking about this kid for years and years to come as a defender. I think he has Tony Allen potential. I think he can be an all-time defender in this league. Um, I think it's going to take him a second to get defensive teams, maybe. I think it depends on how... I think it depends on coverage. I think think, think, think something as far as... Especially something like defensive team, you have to watch. You have to see, you have to hear that this kid's playing defense. So I think that he has to just keep on building building the reputation. If he clamps James Harden and wins, and OKC comes out with a dub in this series, then that's the beginning. It's the beginning of the legend of his defense. But the kid plays really, really good defense, and I think he's starting to figure out James Harden. And James Harden is going to start, I mean, James Harden is an all, all-time scorer, so he's going to figure Dort out right back. He's going to figure out why he's missing these shots, and he's going to start hitting. James Harden isn't the most efficient player, so I'm not automatically going to call somebody a stopper of James Harden, or even say someone's playing good defense on James Harden just because he's missing his shots. Sometimes you just miss. I've seen this man airball open shots. I've seen this man miss, and miss open shots. I've seen this man do exactly what he wanted, get his move, get in his exact spot, and miss. So, I mean, it happens. But LaQuinn Stewart is for real. He plays a lot of defense. Um, this is going to be a really good series. I see it going seven. I think everybody sees it going seven, especially with Russ coming back. I think this series goes seven, and I can't bring myself to pick who's going to win. I think the way this series started was really ugly. And it was really ugly for OKC, so I think that I think I'm currently more so in favor of Houston winning this series. But OKC starting to figure it out. Like I said when when I was previewing this series, OKC isn't good at any of Houston's weaknesses, so they just have to beat them. They have to beat them off of merit. They have to beat them off of just playing their own game and just be better at their game than Houston is at their game. I think the way that Houston plays defense and the way they play this zone, this zone that switches so much, it actually forces teams to play Houston's game and try and shoot a bunch of three-pointers. And that's not going to work because obviously the Rockets want the Rockets want you to do that and the Rockets are the three-point team. They're the, the small ball three-point team. So if you're just playing who's going to shoot more three-pointers, who's going to make more three-pointers, I think Houston's going to beat you every time. So the key is to not play their game. And Chris Paul being an all-time great point guard, I think he's starting to coming he started it took him a little second he had to figure it out a little he had to work out the kinks but i think he's finding holes in that defense and he's starting to figure out um he's starting to figure out how to uh utilize his teammates in order to take advantage of like i said houston's weaknesses now the real 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 these two two series are both these series are really really good but this clippers and maverick series is heating up. Uh, we got game five tonight. Uh, Christoph Porzingis, of course, will not be playing. He was supposed to be a game game time decision for his knee, but they're, they've decided to hold him out, which is going to mean a very big, they're going to need an extremely big performance once again from the phenom Luka Doncic, which I, I think that Mavericks can still win this game, especially with the way that um, uh, the way uh, Paul George has been playing. There's been a lot of noise talked about how, how bad he's been playing these past couple games. And um, I think it's just a matter of time before he turns it around, much like I talked about, like, Danny Green before. Um, some players are really just streaky, and Paul George has been known to be a little streaky, to have uh, his consistency kind of be called in to, into question sometimes. 
But ironically, like when he's consistent, he's consistent. So he's consistently being bad right now. Um, but I think I think that he will be fine. In terms of the Clippers being fine, we shall see. Um, obviously, the whole team is still trying to get in the rhythm. They're still trying to trying to get back into try to get back to where they were before. Um, but uh, with P playing this bad, and I'm sure it's frustrating for everybody else. Patrick Beverly's been missing games. I think he's supposed to be coming back in free game five. All these different moving pieces, it makes it hard for a team to really be cohesive and play together in the midst of a playoffs. And that's when you need to be the most together. So I do worry about the Clippers. And like I said before, when they do click, it's going to be scary. If and when they do click, it's going to be very scary. But Luka is making it look like that is making it look like that win is a little a little more shaky. Luka's been playing absolutely amazing. Seth's been playing very good. Trey Burke's been playing very good. And they're going to need that. Like I said, when you have an uphill battle like they do, when you're a lower seed in, in the playoffs, you're not a lower seed for nothing, even if it is injuries. You're not a lower seed for nothing. So you have to limit your mistakes indubitably. And you need your role players to play very, very good basketball. And you don't need to be perfect, but you need to be damn near perfect. And... I mean, Rick Carlisle's been in the, in the game for a very long time. He's coached finals. So he knows what to do. And he has to just put that into his players, and they have to go out there and execute. I think Dallas can win this series. But I think with KP being out, I think the Clippers do take this game five, and that's going to be very decisive for the rest of the series. I, I think it's going to be very hard for Luka to get just, just win two straight games against this team, especially with as much talent as they have. It's not impossible, but it's going to be extremely difficult. Uh, before I move on, what I will say about the Clippers is they do still have Kawhi Leonard, and they do still have Lou Williams, and they do still have Montrez. All three award candidates, amazing players. Like Obviously, Lou Williams had a very, very good um, game four as well. So I think even with Paul George, with the whole Paul George situation, even if Paul George doesn't come alive, even if he doesn't come out of his shell, even if he doesn't have a good series, if he continues to have it, if he has three more bad games for the rest of the series, uh, I think the Clippers can survive. And I said this before. I'm wondering, at one point, does Kawhi stop waiting for P, for uh, playoff P to show up, and just takes it over? Because Kawhi's been still been playing well. Kawhi's been doing very Kawhi things. He's been consistent. He's been doing his job. I'm just wondering, at what point, is there is there going to be a point, and at what point, does Kawhi say, P, chill out. I'll score 50 today. Instead of PG possibly being in his own head saying, I need to go out there and score 50 and then ending up with the results that we have now. I'm wondering, does Kawhi say, hey, bro, I got it today? Because PG's been playing well. He's been, I mean, not PG. Kawhi's been playing well. He's been doing his thing. He's been doing very Kawhi things, very Kawhi numbers and everything. But at a certain point, you wonder, when does the better player, the star player, the person who got us here together... What what point does he just take over a little more and say, no, I got it. I'm going to score 40. I'm going to score 50 today. You do a little less. Make sure you play on def- Make sure you hold it down on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, worry about the ball handling. Be more of a point guard, uh, ironically, PG. Be more of a point guard for us today and let me just work. So I- I'm just wondering. Uh, and even Doc, like the, the, the play call on the game winner that uh, – um, What's his name? That Luca had hit. Like, Reggie Jackson and Shamit both being on the floor. <laughs> Just calls into question the coaching. And I've been saying since he left Boston that Doc Rivers is a little overrated. But 
hey, that's just me. I'm just going to keep on saying that because of things like that. Um, a little bit of a, I, I figured, obviously, we'll be going into this, the next round. The second round will be started by the time we meet again. So I give I talk a little bit, give a little bit of a preview of, of what to expect. Um, we have the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors meeting in the second round. Uh, man, I am very excited for that series because those are two teams that a lot of people have a lot of faith in. And you really like they you want to see the Raptors without Kawhi. And of course, you want to see how the Celtics play. You just want to see. How for real are the Celtics? I'm still like this last series. They swept them. They swept the Sixers. They handled business. They looked really good while they did it. So I'm up on the Celtics right now. I'm not sold on the Celtics, but I am up on the Celtics. I'm looking at them. I'm like, hey, I'm seeing the seriousness. Give me one more round of it, and I will say it. You guys are serious. Y'all are are, are there. Y'all are up there. Y'all gotta y'all gotta deal with either Giannis or y'all gotta deal with um, the Heat. But y'all, I, I'm still in approve it mode. I'm still in show me. Um, they still might get Gordon Hayward in back in the bubble if they, depending on how far they, how far they stay. I think they said that Gordon Hayward might be out for a month with that ankle ankle injury. So I'm thinking probably not. We're probably not going to get any more Gordon Hayward. But I'm I got my eyes open. I'm I'm staring at the Celtics. This is a big series for the Celtics. It's a big series for JT superstardom. Everyone on the Celtics has has something to prove. Everyone on the Raptors has something to prove. This is a prove it series. Everyone, everyone's looking to prove what they've what they've been saying. JT trying to prove he's a bona fide superstar. We already see it. We already see it coming. This has got to be his superstar series. The same goes for Pascal Siakam. Pascal's playing within the team, and I love that. But no, nah, actually, no. Never. I'll take that back. Pascal's not in the same situation. Pascal needs the dub. The Raptors need a dub. The Raptors, as a team, need to win just to prove they don't need Kawhi. That prove that they. That they are still a good team without Kawhi. They're still a great team without Kawhi. Pascal, I think, does have a certain amount of proving to do as a star, as a star player, even if, if Kyle Lowry can't play game one. But at the same time, I feel like the Raptors are still such a team. They play as a team game that is not all on Pascal to prove himself. It's more so just like, hey, y'all all gotta step up. Everybody has to go out there and, and um do do your thing. But also, like Fred Van Vliet, that man. That man lives for this, especially if Kyle Lowry can't play. If he gets a start, he's going to be living for this, and he's going to relish the moment. I think that I think that he just I think they're going to put Jalen Brown on him because Kimball Walker is not going to be able to guard Fred VanVleet, and Fred VanVleet is going to go out there and and, and whoo he's going to do the damn thing. Um, the other Eastern Conference matchup that we're looking at, obviously the Bucks aren't done exactly, but with the with the the circumstances it's looking pretty done um we're gonna have the bucks playing against the heat in the next round uh that is going to be a beautiful 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 series for somebody whether it's the bucks the heat or nba fans the heat have been haven't been whispering they've been talking all year saying that they have a championship aspiring team they have a championship team this team has very real dreams and very real chances to win a championship they got to show it to us the Magic, who happened to be in the same division as the Miami Heat, they came out of the gates, punched the Bucks right in the mouth. So the Heat have to do the same thing. They have to come out and punch the Bucks right in the mouth and absolutely ravish them. You have to show them that you're not going to go down easy and you have to make them uncomfortable. I, I imagine Bam, 
I don't even know what kind of lineup they're going to be running, but I imagine you would have Bam guard Giannis um, and have Jimmy guard Chris Middleton. And it kind of does seem like if you get Chris Middleton off his game that the Bucks kind of suffer. And Jimmy Butler did a very, very good job of getting T.J. Warren off of his game, which he was definitely the leader leading the charge for the Pacers, and they didn't do anything without T.J. Warren going crazy. And I, I would like to see Jimmy do the same thing to a mix of Giannis and mainly Chris Middleton. It disrupt their second best player and make Giannis have to really be a star player, make him have to shoot, make him have to pass, make him have to do everything and force him to do and force him into a, a lot of things that make him uncomfortable. Giannis is still young. Giannis still showed his age. He's still been showing his age and showing that you can rattle him a little bit. So Miami has to do that. They have to rattle him and they have to they got to shake him up and shake up the Bucks and make them deal with adversity. The Bucks have been playing very, very good basketball all year. So they haven't had a lot of adversity to deal with. As a team, they, this isn't their first year together. So last year, coming from last year's disappointing finish, they still have adversity in them, but they they haven't really battled adversity like that. So, you know, they, they haven't really had to battle it this year like that. And obviously they've been dominating so much this year, they haven't had to deal with it that much. So... If you can come out, punch them in the mouth, and and show them show show them your guns, they might be able to to, to use that for the rest of the series, honestly. Um, but that that'll go ahead and conclude me talking about sports. Um, uh, I gotta, of course, I have my my favorite segment, a really really fun segment I like to do every week. Um, the elephant in the room. I hadn't really put too much thought actually into what I would do. I have nothing written down for I if you if you look at what I have written down for this week's this week's script compared to previous weeks, you would really see that I've kind of been going off the hip. I just kinda of let it let it rip, let it fly this week. Um, but my elephant in the room for this week is um really just appreciating people while they're here and I guess I'll, to be to give it a, a real like statement to put into a sentence. My elephant in the room for this week is a pr- giving people their flowers while they're here and showing love, giving love to those that you love while they're here because life is short, life is extremely short, and life is extremely precious. Life is extremely delicate. You don't know what tomorrow has in store for you, whether it's positive or it's negative. You have no idea what's coming in the next coming days. You might have a plan. You might know, oh, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. But you don't know all of what's going to happen in the coming days, especially in the times we're living in right now with the whole pandemic going on. It is ever so serious and ever so important to tell the people that you love that you love them really tell the people in your life that you love them and how much you appreciate them and how much they mean to you because you really have no idea when they might not be here anymore and that goes into not even just people but experiences and living your life live your life to the fullest even in a pandemic be as safe as you can really but like life is short like you only get one life so Take hold, take absolutely take advantage of opportunities that might only present themselves once. Try new things, 
don't be afraid to try new things don't be afraid of anything really don't lead your life with fear lead your life with love and honestly in my own in my own personal experiences i will tell you that leading leading your life with love and not leading your life with fear is it makes a big difference it it the the change is drastic and you might not notice it you might not never ever even notice it the but other people around you will notice it and the change will happen if you lead your life with love and not fear and don't lead your life with hate leave your life um with love but yeah really really appreciate the little things in life as much as you can try and grab as many big things as you can and really like live up you live it up have experiences that you can tell your kids about have experiences that you want to tell other people about have braggable experiences don't be afraid to brag about what you've done because that's what we live our life for we live our life to do things to be like oh have you ever been here oh have you ever done this not to rub it in someone else's face but just to be like oh i've done that you should do it too because it's a lot of fun it's a lot cool it's pretty cool if you've never done it before if you've never heard about it if you never even thought about doing it well i've done it and that it was really safe it was really cool it was really fun like branch out branch out of yourself get into into don't be get out of your comfort zone stop being so comfortable don't be afraid of uncomfortableness don't don't be afraid to be uncomfortable because you only get one life and you can't be happy all the time you can't be comfortable all the time things can't be cozy all the time so learn to live in the uncomfort and learn to make it your bitch. They say life is a bitch. Make life your bitch. Do not be life's bitch. And I mean that. I believe in every single person who's going to ever listen to me. I believe in every single person that's going to ever listen to this podcast. I believe in everyone I come across. Because everyone has something special inside them. Everyone has a gift and everyone has a purpose. It's about finding it. It's about loving and living life. So appreciate those that help you to do that. Tell the people that you love that you love them. And as always, be blessed. Dame out.